Well, grace and peace from God our Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ and friends, it is so good to be with you on this Lord's Day, and uh, just a joy uh, to sing praises to our God through the singing of the Word. Thank you, worship team, for that. Um, as we were together a few weeks back, we looked at the shortest of all the minor prophets. We looked at the book of Obadiah. The shortest of all the minor prophets, and this week I have the privilege of opening the second of the shortest minor prophets with you, the book of Haggai. If you have the Word of God in front of you or on your phone, if you go to the book of Haggai, I'm going to read just a portion of that uh, right now, and uh, then I will um, expound and expand on different themes throughout this book. So hear the Word of the Lord, I'll read from Haggai 1 through verse 6, and then I'll jump down to 2 and read 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord from Haggai 1 through 1.6. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. And now down to Haggai 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Sheathil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our day, as you think about 
the way in which you live, wouldn't you like a word from the Lord? A word from the Lord to shake you out of your slumber. Perhaps you found yourself so disillusioned by not only the world, but also the church of Jesus Christ. You find yourself repeatedly disappointed. You find yourself frustrated by what you see happening in Christ's church. You, you miss the days when you had deep affection in your soul for the Lord. I wonder if any of you can relate to that. See, the brothers and sisters in Christ, in the time that Haggai wrote, this was the post-exilic time. The time after exile. And so, uh, there is a, a Christian apologist and author, Greg Kokel, who has a, a helpful 12-step understanding of the events in the historical life of Israel. And he talks about the call of Abraham. That's number one. He talks about the birth of Isaac. He talks about Joseph in Egypt. He has all these hand motions that go with it, as you can see. He talks about the Exodus. He talks about Moses giving the law. Greg Kokel goes on and talks about Joshua conquering the land, the people marching through the land. The three kings of the United Kingdom, namely Saul, David, and Solomon. Then the civil war, where the north, Israel, and Judah, the south, split. Then there's the Assyrian dispersion, when in the north, Israel was dominated and decimated by these pagan forces. Then there was the Judean captivity. And then there was return to the land. And then there's the advent or the coming of the Messiah. The book of Haggai is positioned right between the 11th and 12th event, namely the return to the land, but not yet has the Messiah come. These people were discouraged, disheartened, but also clearly consumed with themselves. The book of Haggai has words of warning and words of hope. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at one word of warning and three words of hope from the book of Haggai. The first, a word of warning. Thus says the Lord of hosts. The beginning of Haggai, this word comes to the prophet. And he says, right in verse 5 and in verse 7, consider your ways. Consider your ways, says the Lord of hosts. Fourteen times in the book of Haggai, this phrase is used. Lord of hosts. It's also translated as Lord of the armies. Lord of the numberless. You cannot count how many people the Lord has in His army. And so to this defeated small remnant who just gained permission from their Persian captives, captors rather, they were finally allowed to return to the land to rebuild their lives, to rebuild their temple. But the Lord brings a word through the prophet Haggai because when this people returned to the land, what did they do? Instead of focusing upon the worship of the Lord, the restoration and rebuilding of the temple where worship of God would take place, they focused upon themselves. They focused upon their own homes. Look at verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? 
the Lord is saying, you are more concerned with the worries of this world, with your personal lives, than you are with the worship and the praise of the Lord. Oh, I'm sure there were some during this time who gave thought to the Lord, wanted to please Him, but it was not the all-consuming passion of their lives. There's a direct application for us here today, a direct warning for us, friends. Do the affairs in your own life, your home, your job, your career, your family, do those things crowd out the worship and praise of the one true and living God? See, the Lord is not interested in being an add-on to our lives. We have our homes, we have our jobs and our careers and our families and our friends, and we have our relationship with God. That is not what the Lord is interested in. He wants our hearts. He wants our total devotion so that then in all these aspects of our lives, in every single facet of our life, the Lord receives glory and praise. And the people in this time, when Haggai wrote, were clearly consumed with themselves. And yet it did not satisfy. Verse 6 tells us, You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Think about that imagery. You make some money, you put it into your pocket, into a bag, and it falls right through. It goes nowhere. And the application for us today is simply this. Do you find yourself consumed with other things other than the worship of the Lord? Do you find your affections for Jesus are not the supreme guiding force in all of life. See, the application is so clear because in the Old Testament, the people of God gathered at the temple to worship the Lord. There was the sacrificial system set up to make atonement for sins. The high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies. The people would come and gather and hear the priest exposit the Scriptures, much like we're doing today. The temple was the place where the Lord would be worshipped Sacrifices would be made for sins. A reminder of the reconciled relationship that we have with God would flow through the people's hearts and lives. They would be reoriented once again around who their God was, the God of the heavens and the earth. And people were consumed with other things. In our strange time that we are in here in the United States, we do see, sadly, many who have fallen off from regular worship. We see so many people whose priorities have become clear. This is not to say, or we're not talking about here, the person who has genuine concerns and worries, who maybe has pre-existing health conditions. That's not who I'm talking about. The average, healthy, ordinary Christian who says they're not going to return to church. They can't come back and gather yet. But in fact, what's happened as this all has taken place is that worship has been replaced by the worries and the cares of the world. It has become abundantly clear that sadly some of these friends in many different states, in my case, 
who once seemed so devoted to the Lord, who have all this clear revelation from the Lord about how we are supposed to gather and not give up meeting together. They have forsaken the fellowship of believers. They have neglected what God has called them to do because of convenience, because of comfort, because of personal preference, or because of that home project they want to get done at their house. Oh friends, woe to any who think that they can ignore the worship of the one true and living God and find satisfaction in their own small, petty kingdoms and worlds. So the warning is very clear. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Twice Haggai brings this to the people. It literally means, consider your heart. Set your heart upon the paths that you're going. What are you investing in? Where do you spend your disposable income? Where do you spend your focus and your time? Where do you channel the energies that the Lord has given to you? All this reveals what your priorities are. In your own life, friends, in the last month, maybe the last half year, if your bank account was opened and we saw where every single penny went, what would emerge to the top as your greatest priority? Would it be this sinful self-absorption? This focus on your own paneled houses? Or would it be a focus on the kingdom of God? The glory of Jesus Christ? The advancement of the Gospel? It's always good to revisit and consider our ways. Always a healthy thing to do. And Haggai is driving this home in the people's hearts because they are clearly even dangerously caught up in their own sinful ways and the neglect of the worship of the one true and living God. It's interesting here, down in this text, verse 9, we didn't read this earlier, but look in your Bible at Haggai 1.9. It says this in the middle of that verse, Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house, The Lord is saying, come and rebuild the temple. Get your focus back upon the worship of me. And he's saying, I took credit for the calamity in your life. I I brought this drought. I brought uh, this difficulty in your life because you were ignoring me. When it says here, each of you busies himself with his own house, the word is each of you pants after his own house. Similar to Psalm 42, as the deer panteth for the water, So my soul longs for you, Lord. See, the people who were returning from exile would have been well familiar, some of them at least, with Psalm 42, with this praise of the Lord. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, Lord. So my soul pants for you. And now the Lord is saying, you should be panting for me, but instead you are panting after your own houses. You are spending yourself on yourselves to the detriment of your own soul. And so the Lord says, I'm going to bring a drought. I'm going to bring difficulty upon you. I'm the one who's responsible for this. Because the Lord wants to drive them back to that place of true and faithful worship. 
So here's the warning, friends. Consider your ways. What are you consumed with? Where in your own life have you spent your time, your energy, your focus on things that do not actually last and will not please the Lord? We heard the brother read that text earlier today. When the Lord Jesus talks about where our treasure is, there our heart is also. It's true for every person of every time period, and it's no different in Haggai's time as well. Consider your ways. Is worship your all-consuming priority and passion? Is glorifying God, advancing His kingdom, something that consumes you? Consider your ways. Well, this brings us to the hope. The three words of hope in the book of Haggai. The first is this, the hope of repentance. So even though in the book of Haggai, you have these warnings, consider your ways, says the Lord of hosts. It seems that Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people repented. They changed their mind by God's grace, and they turned. They did consider their ways. This is an invitation for all people of all time, that repentance is an invitation from the living God. Look with me at verse 12. It says this in Haggai 1, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. They obeyed the Lord. They considered their ways. They saw we are, in fact, caught up in our own sinful self-absorption. And they obeyed the voice of the Lord. They started to rebuild the temple, the house of worship. They started to make worship a priority. This is a picture of repentance because not only did they obey, but they also, it says in verse 13, they also feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. In the Old Testament, when you come across this phrase, fear the Lord, it often is the equivalent of the New Testament's believe or trust, have faith in God. So the Old Testament will say, fear the Lord. And the New Testament will say, believe in the Lord. They're often synonymous. And of course, you have to consider the context, but here it seems very obvious that they have placed their faith and their firm confidence in the Lord. How do we know that? Well, they obeyed, as we already saw. But then if you go down to verse 14, here's what we read. They came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Friends, this is a picture of the hope of repentance. An invitation by our God to turn away from our our sinful, selfish wanderings, consume with our own priorities, and to turn to the Lord. To change our minds, that then will be reflected in the change of actions, the change of habits. We see repentance as a theme all throughout the Scriptures. In the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, the Lord invites us to repent repeatedly. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Similarly, in Luke 5.32, the Lord Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. When you and I agree with God that we are sinful, we are self-absorbed, we are ignoring the worship of this God who made us and who deserves our all, and we turn and we trust in this Lord afresh, He is pleased to receive us. See, friends, here's the reality. This same Lord who says, consider your ways, and issues this word of warning, He also is the same God who gladly and freely and fully forgives you when you turn and repent. He is pleased to do so. He gives us the warning, yes, in the Scriptures, Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all perish. Then He also gives us the assurance in Luke 15, 7, when one sinner repents, there is great joy in heaven. So friends, the question for you today is, have you repented? Have you repented of your sin? Your sinful, self-absorbed ways? Have you turned and looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ for life, for forgiveness, for freedom from those sins? Have you acknowledged, I was a slave to sin. I was caught up in my wickedness, caught up in my idolatry, and Lord, It deserved punishment. But God, I see clearly You are a God who is gracious and full of mercy and You will gladly receive me. And I agree with You that I have sinned against You, the Holy Creator and the King. And only You can give me what I lack. Forgiveness. Peace with You. There's no genuine faith in the Lord without true repentance. If you ever come across a person who talks about their faith, it's vital, it is critical for you and me as faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ to ask these friends who talk about their faith, where does repentance fit into your faith? To talk to them about this wonderful invitation. Faith and repentance, two sides of the same coin. Believing in the Lord saying, I'm sorry for my sins, trusting in Jesus, agreeing with God that you are a sinner. And then, by God's grace, seeing a change, not only of your mind, but also in your actions as well. It's what repentance is, and it's hope-filled because the people in Haggai's day turned from what they were doing, and they turned their attention, as clearly seen in their actions, to rebuilding the temple. The hope of repentance. The second word of hope here is the hope of God's presence. Look with me at Haggai 1.13 in your Bibles. It says this, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And if you go down to 2.1-4, we read these verses earlier. Beginning in verse 3, it says this, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord 
of hosts. I want you to put yourself in the position of one of these people, one of the remnant. They had been in exile 70 years, a whole generation. Babylonian captivity, and then Persian captivity. On all sides, decimated by these pagan forces of evil that had no regard for the word of the Lord. It would easy to be very easy to be discouraged. To wonder, will God actually keep His promises? Has He abandoned us? If you were a man or a woman or a boy or a girl in this time period, you're a part of a small, decimated, and dominated people. Pagan superpowers all around you. And the Lord's calling the people to rebuild this temple. It won't be like the temple in Solomon's day. When we read in 1 Kings that the glory of the Lord filled this temple. There was all these gold and, and, and beautiful stones and jewelry all around this temple. It won't be like that glory. The Lord says it. And some, we don't know how many, but some of the elderly friends there, they might have remembered that temple in Solomon's day. In fact, we read in Ezra and Nehemiah that some were weeping when this temple was restored and rebuilt because it was just a little shadow of the glory of the temple in Solomon's day. But the Lord says here, I am with you. Who is this Lord who is with them? He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, the King of kings, the Lord of glory. The Creator, the God who throws down the gods in the time of the Exodus. He threw down the gods of Egypt. He's the God who's supreme over all. All the Assyrian gods, all the Babylonian gods, all the Persian gods, all the people's gods throughout all time. This is the Lord who is with them. And the Lord repeatedly says in Haggai, to this disbanded, discouraged, disheartened group. Be strong. Work. For I am with you. Friends, for us, it's easy to look around the church of Jesus Christ and to wonder, will the church survive? On all sides, we're being decimated, mocked. There seems to be apostasy everywhere. People adding to the Gospel, adding to the Word of God, adding to the grace of God, averting our eyes away from Jesus Christ, away from the Scriptures and to other things. Even those who claim to be Christians. And the Word of the Lord from Haggai for us today is be strong. Work for the glory of the Lord. For He is with you. Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified and rose again right before He ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in Matthew 28. That last message that He gave to His people, the disciples there, was this. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. 
And then he issued that proclamation, that charge for the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Sometimes we stop there. And that's all good. That's all glorious. Those are wonderful commands from our Lord. But there's a phrase at the end that ties in directly to this word in Haggai. You know what it is? That's right. Brother said it. For behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, in Haggai's day, this small band of the people of God, as they rebuilt, as they were discouraged, Haggai said, remember, God is with you. Every other empire will fall. Every other emperor and king and ruler and judge of all other powers, of all other nations, however powerful they look now, they will fade away. They will fall away, but I will remain and I will remain with you. It's astonishing when we consider all of these pagan powers, these superpowers from the ancient world. Consider them for a moment. Egypt. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. In my own uh, family, last year our family embarked upon a uh, homeschooling endeavor. And uh, it was a great joy to learn this timeline song where it's a a history uh, song going through world history. And so as a family, we went through this together it's amazing how these kids, their little minds can just pick up on all these threads of history and these phrases that actually are meaningful and have kind of pegs that, that help you understand global and world history. And there were so many examples of empires, of rulers, and all nations, and all continents that once emerged as supreme. They seemed to be the top dog. No one could touch them. And I was just looking over some of them. You have Genghis Khan, known as the the most brilliant military strategist, but also brutal in history. You look at the Indian Empire, the expansion of many other empires. And we don't talk about them today. We don't talk about most of them today. And all their splendor and all their power. We don't talk about them today. But even if we, as the church of Jesus Christ, look around the world and we think to ourselves, what role does the church have? What future does the church have? We don't have all the resources, all the finances. We don't have all the political power that all these other empires and nations have, that all these other groups seem to have. We ought to remember the hope that is found here in Haggai, that the Lord is with us. That when it comes to laboring for Jesus Christ and His kingdom, this is an endeavor. This is a pursuit that we can all focus upon, brothers and sisters. And 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Those who labor in the Lord, they never labor in vain. The promise of Scripture is that even if it seems small in the moment, even if the work of the Lord that He's called you to seems insignificant, 
in the scheme of the kingdom of God, it always carries more weight than the work that's happening in the emperors all around you. And the empires everywhere. The hope of the presence of the Lord. The third word of hope, and the final word of hope, is the hope of the coming Christ. The hope of the coming Christ. This last part of Haggai is a reminder to us that the Lord of hosts is going to bring upon all nations His judgment and execute His ways. Look with me at Haggai 2, starting in verse 6. Haggai 2, starting in verse 6, says this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. What Haggai is declaring to this discouraged and small band of people is that a day is coming when the Lord will bring judgment upon all nations. I heard one pastor describe this as a snow globe. You know those little snow globes that you shake them up and then all those little white things go everywhere and then they land? The world, the nations of the world, the superpowers of the world, with a simple shaking of the hands, will put all things right in this world. The Lord will judge the nations and all the powers in the nations and all the wealth that has been accumulated by those nations, the Lord will bring into His place, namely the temple, not simply a a single location. As we read in other prophets, prophet Habakkuk and elsewhere, the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth. So here's what you have to realize about the temple. The temple was meant to be a place that actually revealed the presence of God, the purposes of God, but one that would extend throughout all the earth. It wasn't simply for the people of Israel. It wasn't simply for the people of God. No, it was for all the earth to know who this God was. See, in the Scriptures we are told a number of times that when the Lord puts on display His people, His nation, namely Israel and those who believe in Israel, God is trying to display and showcase to a lost and dying world His glory, His supremacy, and His power. That's what He's doing. So in Deuteronomy, in chapter 4, we read clearly that the Lord wants to put on display through His people who keep His law and His words and His statutes, His glory, so that the other nations look and they say, who is this God who is so close to His people? Who is this God who gives such righteous laws to His people? And the heartfelt desire of our God is that all the nations would bow the knee to King Jesus. God wants to put on display to all nations that He is coming, that His work will be accomplished, and that He is with these people. 
Sadly, as we know repeatedly throughout the line of people of God, throughout history, we see failure, 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 failure. All the prophets, all the priests, all the kings, all the judges, all the people of the ancient Israel community, none of them, not a single one, lived up to these commands. And yet the Lord promises that a temple would be so glorious that it would exceed the former temple's glory. How could God make that promise? Well, two comments on this. Some commentators say, even though the temple that was rebuilt by Zerubbabel, that we read about here, it was just a a tiny little um, remodel. Some years later, Herod, pagan emperor, uh, pagan actually ruler, I should say, he actually would build a, a big temple, large temple, from his wealth. That was to placate the Jewish people mostly. And so some would say, oh, that's the fulfillment of what Haggai is saying. In part, it could be. But in a far more glorious sense, we should not lose sight of what Jesus Christ says. When he's with his disciples, staring at this temple that Herod built, and they were looking at the stones, they were admiring the incredible vastness of this temple. You recall what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He said in Matthew 12, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus was talking about Himself. He is the place. The Lord Jesus Christ is the temple, the true temple. Even greater than the temple, the place where man, sinful, lost, hopeless man, and God, living, holy, In Jesus, that is where we find peace with God. In Jesus, that is where we go to find a perfect sacrifice once for all for sinners. In Jesus, that is where we, a defiled and unclean people, can go. In Jesus, that is where the glory of the Lord God Almighty is manifested in a far greater and more awesome way. And all the treasures of the nations... All the desires of the nations. That's how Haggai 2.7 has been translated down the ages. Find their yes, find their amen in Jesus Christ. We see in Jesus Christ one greater than the temple. One who according to John 1 pitched His tent among us. The Son of God full of grace and full of truth. He tabernacled among us according to John in chapter 1. And we read here in Haggai of a blessing upon an undeserving people. We read of peace that God will bring. And we read at the end of this text in Haggai 2, 20-23, the promise of the restoration of the Davidic line. We see the promise of judgment upon the nations. And friends, all of those things the promise of peace, the promise of blessing, the promise of the restored Davidic line, the promise of judgment upon the nations. They find their fulfillment in our risen Lord Jesus Christ. It's an astonishing text, this little book of Haggai, pointing us forward to the coming of the Messiah, a King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who would overthrow the throne of kingdoms. The one who would destroy the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow their chariots and their riders. 
The one who on that day would actually see these empires fall and would rise up victorious over them all. When we consider the book of Haggai, it's vital to realize where it's situated. Back in the prophet Jeremiah's day, he had said he was going to take from Jehoiakim, that king, the signet ring. A signet ring was a king's stamp of approval. His divine stamp of, let it be, let it happen. It would go out across all the decree of the empire. It would be the rule of law. There was no sure authority that could exceed this signet authority. And in Jehoiachin's day, right before the exile to Babylon, the Lord said, I am taking the signet ring. In Jeremiah 22, I am taking the signet ring. And here at the end of Haggai, the Lord Almighty reinstates His promise to Zerubbabel that one would come, that the signet ring would be given to Zerubbabel, and that this priestly line, this kingly line, this governor, would be reinstated, the Davidic line that would lead us to Jesus Christ. Oh friends, we have great hope in the book of Haggai. The hope that we can repent. The hope that God is with us. And the hope that a Messiah would come. A Messiah who would bring peace. A Messiah who would bring blessings. A Messiah who would, in fact, fulfill the promise of a Davidic line, a restored monarchy. All this is drawn from the book of Haggai. And so, friends, consider your ways. Consider your ways today. And invite others around you to consider their ways and to turn to this hope-filled promise that there's a God in heaven who will give them the free invitation of repentance. There's a God in heaven who will send a King and a Savior, a Messiah. There's a God in heaven who has sent this King and Savior and Messiah who will gladly receive them. And there's a God in heaven who has given them this great hope of His presence forevermore. Let's pray. Almighty God and merciful Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Lord, we marvel today at Your great grace, at Your great power, at the promises we see so clearly in the Scriptures. Thank You, Lord God, for this promise of a temple more glorious than the one in Solomon's day. Thank You for Jesus, who is greater than the temple. Thank You for Jesus, Your Son and our Savior, who comes to put all things right. God, we know that we can grow discouraged and disheartened in this world. For myself and for these brothers and sisters in Christ, may we take hold of and take heart of the fact that You have kept Your promises. May we consider our ways afresh, being devoted to You, Lord Jesus, the true temple. Being devoted to Your people, the church. Not neglecting our spiritual fellowship. Oh God, may we be more devoted today to Your kingdom and to Your glory. Never before. We pray this by Your Holy Spirit and in the Son's name, Jesus. Amen.